right, we are finishing up our series, Taboo, those things that you feel like you can't talk about and you keep them in a dark place in your life. But when you push them down into those dark places, those things get power over you. Those things begin to grow. And so we're bringing them out to the light. And this morning, we're going to bring out shame. I had to laugh. Pastor Rick did a great job talking about death and disappointment with God the last two weeks. And I remember he caveated like, hey, it's not normally, you know, this heavy. And I know I'm preaching on shame next week. And I'm like, but it might be for like one more week. So hang in there. Uh, I don't know if Rick checked the schedule. I'm really hoping it's something like lighthearted. You come back next week and she's like, God loves you. Because <laughs> we're talking about shame. So it may feel a little heavy this morning, but I think and my hope and prayers, although it's hard to talk about these things and it maybe it feels heavy, that it is helpful and I think a journey we all need to go on. We got to talk about it. If you have kids like me and you've seen Encanto, shame is like Bruno. You don't talk about Bruno. You've seen it? Yeah, it's, it's cute, right? But here's the thing. The more you don't talk about it, the more you have it. We don't like to talk about these things that bring shame in our lives. And the more we hide our shame, and the less we talk about it, the more we have it. So we got to bring it out to the light to remove its power in our lives. So we're going to talk about shame. So I want to start this morning by defining it. I think it's a common felt feeling, but when we say shame, I want to define it. But I want to look at some of the different causes of shame, which can be a little trickier. But then ultimately, I want to help us to deal with shame, all right? That's where we're going, to find shame, look at the different causes in our lives, but ultimately, to deal with it. So that's where we're going this morning, and that, it is universally felt by all. I mean, it's kept in secret often, but all of us, maybe on different levels and in different areas, struggle with shame. And Brene Brown did a TED Talk a while ago that just blew up. Because I think she struck a chord in just bringing out into the light this idea of shame. So I'm going to borrow her definition. So Brene Brown, she's a shame researcher, says it this way. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection. Can't remember the full paragraph. I think that underlying part is kind of the heart of it, right? What is shame? It's that feeling, that thought, that belief that I'm unworthy of connection and love. I think that resonates with all of us on some level. I mean, shame, the story that we deal with, common to humanity, has been dealing, we've been dealing with this since the beginning of time. But I want you to know that even though the first two people on this earth felt shame, God didn't design it that way. And I think in defining shame, I think understanding the opposite of shame helps and understand that God never intended us to have that feeling and fear. What was God's original intention when he originally created? Here's it. Genesis 2, the very beginning, the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. In the world we live in, it's almost impossible 
to wrap our heads around that. To be fully exposed. To be fully naked and unashamed. No fear. Zero insecurity. No fear of rejection. Can you imagine that kind of life that God desires for us and created us to have? I want to talk about that a little bit. You always say naked. Like that was literal. This is physical nudity. So we're not going to talk about kind of a ton of shame in our physical appearance, but I do want to start there because how big is that, right? How much shame comes from how we look and fear of acceptance that way of our appearance? Can you imagine it just on the physical level, right? They are fully naked, just like, ta No shame. I can't even wrap my head around it, right? So how much shame comes from our appearance? But I think there's so much more going on here than just physical nakedness. This is so much more beyond that. This is to be fully exposed, fully vulnerable, fully known, and fully accepted and loved. So to understand shame, we need to understand what it is to be unashamed. And there are two elements that are crucial to understanding. This was huge for me. Both are important to kind of overcome shame. It's this idea we all need to be fully loved. God is a trinity, is a relational being. We are relational beings. We need to feel worthy of connection, belonging, and love. But you see this other element, to be fully loved, but to be fully known. Both are present and they're connected. Oftentimes, when you get to the point where you don't feel truly loved, most of us wrestle with that. I don't feel fully loved and there's a good chance because we haven't allowed ourselves to be fully known. The level of knownness is the cap that all of us can hit to experience love. What is unashamed? Be fully vulnerable. People know everything every thought, every deed, fully exposed and fully loved. But since we're so afraid that we won't be loved, we don't allow ourselves to be known. And that's what we see from the beginning of time. This is what God wanted for you. Fully known and fully loved. And the second sin, the most infamous sin ever committed, that eating of the apple, the second sin steps on the scene, the cycle of shame Begins. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I want to use the NLT. Actually, the word shame isn't in the original Greek, but the translators, it was so clear. And that's how shame works, right? Just beneath the surface, driving us. And he said, man, this is such, let's just bring it to the surface. The second shame and the second sin entered this world, the feeling of shame, awareness that maybe I'm not acceptable. And so, the story of shame that all of us are a part of, this cycle began and repeated and you see this cycle of shame kind of in the same dialogue here in Genesis 3. This is after sin The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid 
because I was naked and I hid myself. We've all been in that cycle since the dawn of time. I'm aware of my shame and so I, in that fear, hide. See, shame is an emotional feeling of feeling unworthy, but what starts emotionally always plays out relationally. There's clear aspects of that in shame. It's how I feel about myself, but it also impacts my relationships, right? The relationship with God, that's the curse. The relationship with God is now affected. My relationship with others now affected. Another psychologist of shame said it this way, with shame, I not only sense that something is deeply wrong with me, but accompanying this is the naturally extended consequence that because of this profound flaw, you will eventually want nothing to do with me and will leave. What's that profound flaw? Me. That's shame. And on some level and in some area, I think we all feel it's universal. It's the result of sin. It's the world, although not God's original design. We feel this cycle. And if at some level that doesn't ping for you, I'm a really bad preacher because it is all of us that sense this feeling that I don't feel worthy. I don't know that I'm enough. I don't know that I'm desirable. And we sit in this cycle of praying that if people found out who I, if they really saw me, who I really am, like what I've really done, like the thoughts that I have, if people knew those, they would reject me. So in some ways, it's simple enough to acknowledge the symptoms of shame, right? But the, cause, you know, the causes get a little different. I'm not a doctor, but I can recognize symptoms. Like, you see my hand's purple? I'm like, yes, your hand's purple. What caused that? I don't know. Go to a doctor, right? The causes get a little trickier to understand. I think we all relate to the emotion, the feeling, the hiding on different ways. But I want to talk about the different causes of shame in our life. There's a couple of things that I want to tie off. Particularly, there's a quote I want to show from Kurt Thompson as he has interacted with a patient. Because sometimes... And pretty good in this series, Taboo, we're going to look at those big things, those nasty, dirty sins we don't like to talk about or those things done to us. But part of the causes, and this is where that crafty serpent, the snake, is crafty. Because it doesn't just have to be those big things that cause us to feel shame. Listen to as Kurt Thompson as he worked with one of his clients. Although much of his life was immersed in a milieu in which Jesus was honored, were enough painful experiences, albeit comparatively insignificant relative to much of the world, that Ethan's inner life was frequently punctured with feelings of uneasiness and self-critical thoughts. He believed that he should not be having these responses because there was no overwhelming reason for them. Ethan's story illustrates how common it is for shame to be silently lodged and active in every nook and cranny of our lives when we have little to no idea of its presence. Does that resonate with you at all? We think of shame from these big things in our lives. Maybe you come from a Christian home. Maybe your parents stayed together. And I've seen people wrestle with this shame that I come from dysfunction. But I've seen people wrestle with the shame that I came from a good home. 
And why is that shameful? Because I still have problems. So in my dysfunction, I can blame you. But if I don't come from dysfunction, who's the problem? It must be me. There must be something wrong with me that I still have issues. So I want to validate that. If you feel like you don't have good reason because you don't have enough dysfunction, quiet that noise. It's nothing but noise. Satan is the great accuser. The very name of Satan is tied into shame. He accuses us day and night. And even if you don't feel like you have a big enough reason, we all deal with it. Don't feel like shameful because you don't have enough of a reason. That last line, right? It's just laws lodged and active of every nook and cranny. I had no idea how much of a grip shame had on my life until I got married. Until finally, like, somebody was close enough to me to hear the inner dialogue, to hear how much it played a part in my life. Like, most mornings, I mean, you might laugh at this, but I'm being serious. Like, I feel shame every time I hit snooze. Like every time I hit that stupid button, and it seems silly. But shame is in every nook and cranny. And every morning I'm tempted to get, I wish I was kind of that uber-disciplined 5 a.m. guy, and I'm not. And I feel less than because. And so every morning I'm like, get out of bed. What's your problem? Why can't you just be more disciplined? Every day I don't, I don't get time with God. I can hear the whispers of shame. You're a pastor. Do you even love God of what he's done for you and you can't get in your Bible this morning? Do you really love God? Do you think he really loves you after the way you... I had no idea it was even there. You know how many times in my head, Johnny, as we just heard his story, right? That internal dialogue. How much throughout the day, not just, oh, I messed up. I'm like, you loser. Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you do that better? Why did you mess that up? And it is in every nook and cranny. Like, as a pastor, I feel shame how much I like TV. It's not like a big trauma, but I'm like, you shouldn't like TV that much. You should be reading, like, John Calvin. I'm like, but I want to watch This Is Us. I feel shame about it. So, look, you don't have, I want you to validate, even if you don't feel like you have this big reason. Maybe you feel shame because when Taco Bell rolled out its subscription, you signed up first day. You're like, man, where's my life got that I signed up for a Taco Bell subscription? Like, man, my Taco Tuesday is now Taco Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Like, what's, what's wrong with me? Right? Doesn't have to be a big deal. And no judgment if you signed up. So that's, that's, that's between, you know, you and your diet. But doesn't have to be a big deal. I was actually talking about a young professional's I actually know a bunch of people that are about to sign up. They're like, that's awesome. Can I save up my daily tacos and eat like 10 tacos three times a month? So, no judgment, but you get the point, right? Even if you feel like you don't have enough reason, we all wrestle with it. But I want to look at what are some of those big causes of shame. Let's just walk through this for a little bit. Especially in the church, right? What if you're attracted to the same Gender, both genders. You're desperately wrestling with that because you're not sure if you are and you hope people don't find out because of the shame. I pulled the staff. And the big one I think that comes out often is abortion, right? I know the statistics. 
I know where that is probably many women, families, men that have gone down that road, but the stain that they feel and the shame that they could feel from abortion. What if you've had an affair, committed adultery? The shame and sting that could come with that. Abuse, physical, sexual. What if you've been abused and you've carried that sense of shame? But I even put that, not that it's any less, not just the victim, what if you're the perpetrator? And what if, and I've known guys in, in between services, somebody just shared as a man how they were molested as a kid, but as a guy, I've heard men wrestle with that. Oh, what is wrong with me? Does that make me weak? Or how could I allow that to happen? They carry a burden of shame with that. Shame with addictions, gambling, drugs, alcohol, sex. Like if people knew that about me, they would never respect me, let alone accept me and love me. And we carry this shame and allow it to speak into our lives. What if, what if you have a record? People find out not just, and what if it's not even just a misdemeanor? Like what if you're a felon? What if it's one of the big ones? Can you imagine the shame? What if you murdered somebody? How would you feel if people knew about that? Divorce. And I think that showed up on almost everybody's list. The shame that we can carry to walk into a church and if people find out I've been divorced. Or the shame from your background, right? You know, what if you were from a poor home, a non-Christian home? What if you were raised by Michigan fans? Imagine the shame that comes with that, right? Maybe you f- should feel shame. I don't know. Maybe it's appropriate in some cases. I don't know. Right? But you think about that like family background. Children out of wedlock. Somebody responded in the email from the staff, like, what if you have different baby daddy? I'm like, I can't say baby daddies in church. I can't say that. I did say it, but I couldn't put it on the slide, you know. You know, there's just baby daddy, come on. But you imagine that, right? Like, how much of the shame you walk in, do people notice? Oh, I don't have a wedding ring on, but they notice, and we feel less than because shame gets whispered at us. I mean, again, talk about statistics, pornography. How many people, it's more than you know and more than you realize, struggle with pornography? How much it's part of your past, but even, not just my past, like my present. Like I think I'm addicted. If people knew how much pornography that you looked at, what you looked at, what would they think of you? Again, you think of the male-female differences of that. And that can allow shame to creep in to our lives. Financial shame, debt, mental illness, and eating disorders. We can feel that's taboo. I'm not allowed to talk about that. And so shame can come with that. Not married, right? Singleness. What is shame? A fear of connection. Doesn't my singleness scream my shame that I'm unworthy be, to be connected in my singleness or singleness late in life? And this is where shame is so crafty. We can have shame about not being married, and we have shame about being married. How many people, gosh, as a pastor, as a good church member, if people knew how much we fought, if they knew how dysfunctional my marriage was, surely they would not accept me. Children, what a wonderful blessing, but how much pressure and shame can come from that. 
not having kids, not being able to conceive, or not being able to carry full term, and somehow we can struggle with, man, what is wrong with me? And again, we can have shame from not having kids. We can have shame from kids, you know, wayward kids, or kids didn't turn out the way you thought. And how many times are you on that list? And this isn't exhaustive. Be so many more things, big, little, and in some ways too, I almost want to have its own category of sexual shame. I think the Bible does give credence to that. Not that you should feel more dirty, not that you are more dirty, but there's something unique about what happens with that kind of baggage that it almost always carries with it shame, that sin's done against the body. It's not more dirty, it's not more shameful, but we can often feel that. Told you it's going to be heavy, but I want to kind of, I want to make one category adjustment as well, because some of this, the things that carry shame are things we've done, then some of it is, I think, that are things that have been done to us. And so I want to be very clear on this, because I'm going to talk about guilt and shame. If some of your shame is from something that's been done to you, to say I'm sorry doesn't do it. But again, I know the statistics. Like, if you have been assaulted, I'm unbelievably sorry for what's been done to you. But those guilt and sins from another do not spill over to you. You don't need to deal with the guilt of somebody else's sins. Okay? And I'm sure you've wrestled with shame, but I pray that you begin to feel freedom of letting go of guilt that isn't yours, okay? But I am unbelievably sorry, but some of these things clearly are not our fault. I didn't pick what family I was born into. But oftentimes, shamed people shame people, hurt people hurt people. So I do want to talk about the things that I have done, and I think it is hugely helpful to figure out in dealing with our guilt and shame is understanding the difference between guilt and shame. This was huge for me, and I want you to connect the difference. So if this is something you've done, you have shame for it, understand the difference between guilt and shame. See, guilt says, I did wrong. Shame says, I am wrong. Not just, I made a mistake. I am a mistake. You feel that difference. Guilt is behavior-oriented. It's about what I've done. Shame is the way I see self. I am wrong. And guilt can come in a moment, but it could also be dealt with in a moment. You can be forgiven in a moment, but shame, seeing yourself the way God sees you, can be a process. So in that... Feeling guilt, and I'll take the two together, conviction is very helpful. It can be be very healthy to feel that, to experience that, but to take it to shame and to condemning. Not just, man, I yelled at my kids, I can have a temper, it's I am a worthless father. That condemnation doesn't help and there's a difference and I want you to deal with them differently it's fine to say man I messed up it's healthy to say that but to take it to where then I must be messed up 
is where we draw the line. So I want you, in dealing with your shame, understand this difference. Because there is a difference. In dealing with it, I want to tell you a little bit about my house. Love where I live in Kent. We love the house we bought. We don't love everything about it, including the bright white carpet when we bought it. Bought this house, you know, and we move in. We're like, I don't know that I'd pick bright white carpet, but we have two kids. What could go wrong? A lot. So our bright white carpet, so get that in your mind. And I don't know if you've ever used DayQuil or seen that. This is DayQuil. My wife says, this isn't just orange. This is electric orange. So a couple of weeks ago, our nice bright white carpet got somewhere around, you know, a third to two-thirds of a bottle of DayQuil just poured out onto it. It's rough. If you wonder what it looks like, this is my impression of my carpet at home. It's still about that, right? I mean, it is unbelievable, this bright white and this massive stain of DayQuil. <laughs> I can't not look at that thing. Every time I walk up the stairs, like, Gah! like every time I go, there, I'm like, come on! Like it just screams at me, and it's disgusting, and people are going to see it. I'm like, I'm sorry, it's nasty, it's electric orange, leave me alone. I think that's how our shame can feel. Whether people see it or not is irrelevant. The stain of shame can feel like that. And it it just seems like it's obvious to everybody, right? Like surely everybody can see how messed up I am. We carry that around. And here's where I think the world has no. The world has no answer of dealing with guilt and shame. The best the world does is deny that it exists, right? We live in a world where there's nothing wrong. No urges are wrong. Nothing about you is wrong. Everything is okay. And so just deny that there's any guilt. Deny that there's any stain. But why do I feel so dirty if that's the case? Why do I still feel shame if there's nothing wrong? We both know that in this world there is guilt. I do do wrong things. So the world will try to deny it. You didn't know any better. So much of the world, we try to distract from it, right? They don't see the stain. Let's make everything in the house so nice. Let's put things around it. Do you know how many stories of success are stories of shame with a thin veneer of success over top? That successful, driven person, there's a good chance that's a person driven by shame who desperately doesn't feel he's good enough. And the way I get over this stain is I prove to people how good I am, and I perform and perform and perform and show everybody how good I am, how good, what I've done to hopefully distract from the shame that I feel. It doesn't work. And what is our last result? I was afraid because of my shame, so I hid. So our last-ditch effort, right? I need to be loved and accepted, but I'm desperately afraid people won't accept me. So I hide, and I pray that people don't find out how messed up I really am and the messed up things that I think and do and have done. And that's the story of shame. I remember watching a, a sermon on shame for this. And the sermon was on April 4th, and instantly, like, that ping of shame just shoots at me. 
See, April 4th was the day my sister was born. That's the day I always think about. The day she died is a random date to me, but the day she's born is what I always think about. She had a tough life. And I wanted nothing more in this world than to help her and turn her life around. So the day she died, when that casket shut, a crack opened into like the deepest recesses of my soul for shame to sneak its way in. I didn't bear guilt, but from then on, a shame story began swirling in my life. If you would have prayed more, she wouldn't have died. If you would have helped more, if you were more of a man, she wouldn't have died. That night when she said, come in and fix my phone, if you would have went in and helped her with her phone, she wouldn't have died. And this emotional feeling that I don't think I'm enough as a man, of a man, took a deep root and to the point where, again, what starts emotionally plays out relationally. I can always make friends, but it's going to hit a wall because I can't let people too close to see that because I'm desperately afraid of that answer that maybe I'm not enough and what will people think if they find out that about me? So till my wife eventually hits this wall and begins to tear it down. And I remember reading in this book, it said every girl, every little girl starts with asking the question, am I lovely, am I desirable? And every man asks the question, do I have enough? Do I have what it takes? And I read that line and it's like my spine snapped. I was just like jello. Because finally it was the time God said, You've been listening to the voice of shame too long. God in the garden, what did he say to them? Who told you that? I thought I wasn't enough. I thought I was a failure and I was so afraid of that. But that's the voice of shame. It's time that you stop listening to that voice and listening to the voice of God. See, what is the very first thing God says in the garden after sin erupts this planet. God says, he's not losing his mind. What did you do? How messed up are you? He says, where are you? In your sin, when you're running from God and you think he's running from you, God is pursuing you. Whatever you've been through, I beg of you, hear me. I don't care where you come from, whatever you think you've done, God loves you, and he is still pursuing you. I pray that you can begin to believe that. God is pursuing. Where are you? To deal with shame is simple. It's the simple gospel truth. Are you going to listen to the voice of shame that says, you're too dirty, you're not good enough, you're not worthy? Or are you going to listen to the voice of God that says, I have cleansed you, you are clean? Do you think your ability to defile yourself is greater than the ability of God to cleanse you? I promise you that is not the case. Deal with your guilt. Our guilt grows into shame. How do we deal with it? We experience his grace and mercy and forgiveness. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. 
Again, think about that. How does an all-knowing God not remember? I love that he says that. It isn't that he forgets as if he forgot how messed up you were, how messed up you were in college, and one day when you go to have kids, he's going to remember and bring it up again. God doesn't forget. He chooses graciously and consciously for the rest of eternity to remember it no more. That thing that you think defines you. In God's eyes, it's a non-factor. You think it colors every part of you, and God says it colors nothing in you. That stain, he says, you see this. This is what I see. I see you as clean. I can't even remember that thing that you think is so horrible about you. It's, will you believe the gospel? That you are forgiven. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. If you have squared up your guilt through the cross of Christ, the payment is done. You don't need to punish yourself anymore. But when God squared up your bill, paid for your sins, how many of us went in and made a lifetime payment plan to punish ourselves for the rest of our lives for that thing that is already paid? There's no condemnation. That thing that you're so afraid of, God says it will never be a factor in the way that I relate to you. Deal with our guilt. Deal with our shame. But if you want to come from shame to be unashamed, what's the problem? We're hiding. What if you, in belief of the gospel, come out of hiding? So the application for shame, it's scary as I'll get out, and it's unbelievably simple. That thing that you think is so shameful about you, I want you to share it with somebody. I want you to bring it out into the light. Someone you trust is going to minister the gospel to you. Maybe it's a Bible study leader, community group leader. Maybe you're starting counseling for the first time. But if you're tired of shame, listen, I heard this quote, we're only as sick as the secrets we keep. And shame loves to keep us sick. Secrecy is the great strategy of shame. Do you want to overcome shame? Overcome secrecy. Stop hiding and begin to share and allow yourself to be fully known so that you can experience what it's like to be fully loved and unashamed. That is what God wants for you. He loves you. He forgives you. Would we experience that freedom? Perfect love casts out fear. Will you pray with me? Father, it is scary, but I pray that your glorious gospel would give us the courage. God, even for the first time, would we see ourselves the way you see us? Not as stained, but as cleansed. God, would that be true that we would experience your perfect love drowning out our fears to know what it is to be fully known and fully loved because of Christ. And it's in that glorious name we pray. Amen.